Pastor Mike Favares with Focal Point Ministries. I trust that the following recorded sermon will be a benefit and a challenge to your Christian walk. For more information about Focal Point Ministries, log on to our website at focalpointministries.org, focalpointministries.org, or call us toll-free at 888-320-5885. Well, I am so glad that you are here, and I'm so glad that I am here. I think this is, as I said last week, a pivotal period in the life of Compass Bible Church. And I think generations down the road, if the Lord tarries, this will be a generation and a season of our church they will look back on and thank us for the things that together we had the vision to do and to establish. And that's what these three weeks are all about. Making disciples, reaching, teaching, training. And if you'd looked at your worksheet this morning, which you may or may not need, but as you looked at that, you didn't see a text of scripture, you saw a table. And that's because last week I told you that we would get together this week and have a family meeting, kind of a kitchen table talk. This is not your typical exposition of a passage. Doesn't mean it's not based in scripture, because of course, what we're going to talk about for the remainder of our time is what grows out of our commitment to the Great Commission. We're committed to making disciples of all the nations. Right now, we got to start in our own Jerusalem, which is here, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. We've been involved even in our short 13 and a half year history in doing that, planting churches here in our own backyard, other states, uh, not just now with Boise, which is our first full indigenous church plant out of state, but we've had a couple others that we partnered with, and we've been around the world in various places trying to plant churches. We had Compass Bible churches planted elsewhere. Of course, as you heard this morning, we partnered with churches like Grace Life in London, and we've been doing our best to try and do what this passage says, make disciples. And we've been involved in that. We're grateful for what God has done. And last week, we focused on this aspect of it, and that is all the work that culminates in people being baptized in the authority of the triune God. That process, we said, individually, looks a little different than it does corporately. Corporately, as we band together to see churches planted, the most effective means of evangelism in any generation or any culture is the planning of brand new churches. So we're excited about that. And last week, right in the middle of the message, we launched a brand new team up to Boise. And it's been an exciting thing even this week to hear of the new uh, exciting opportunities they have to get this church unfolded and, and rolling out. And by January, seeing their very first public services. So that's exciting. This week, what I want to talk about is the teaching aspect of this. When it comes to every church whether we're just involved in in local evangelism or whether we're doing things outside of our own borders in evangelistic efforts, what we're doing is bringing people to Christ. And then our task by Christ himself is to teach them to observe all that he commanded. That's a big task. That superlative there that sits in front of that, we know, is a huge curriculum. All the implications and application in any given culture around the world to be teaching every generation of Christians what it means to observe and obey what Christ said. So that's going to take a long time. And that's why God says in the church, in the life of the church, I'm going to provide people to do that. And when it comes to the sustaining activity of the church, the one category in this list in Ephesians 4 is that category of the pastor teachers, those people that are shepherding and teaching the flock. They're leading, guiding, directing, protecting, teaching, educating, bringing up and mentoring people in their own churches to do, as this passage says, the the work of ministry with the equipping process. In other words, the teaching tries to equip them to do, as it says in the rest of that phrase, the work of ministry, which is more than just the ministry within the church, but that which spreads outside. It deals with our sanctification. It deals with the kinds of acts of service and evangelism and discipleship that we're to do. And all of that builds up the church to build up the body of Christ, that we can be all that we're supposed to be, not just spiritually, but numerically as well. There are people, as it says in the book of Acts, that are appointed to eternal life in every city. It's our chance and our opportunity to see them join us in bowing the need of Christ and serving Christ with the rest of their human life until we attain to the unity of the faith. We want everyone who's called by Christ's name to be with us in our area, serving Christ together, and we'd like to see us on the same page doctrinally. So pastors are given the task to preach. It's not just in the main service, which you're experiencing now and you do every week if you come here to Compass Church, but all throughout our ministries, we want to see the word of God taught. And it's not just when it's convenient in culture. 
The task of those who are the pastors and teachers are to make sure that we are teaching, we're ready to teach, we're eager to teach, that we're committed to teaching and giving the word of God unadulterated, expositing it clearly, regardless of what the culture says, whether it's in season and everyone applauds in our culture or out of season. Now, they've never really thoroughly applauded everything we've said, but when it comes to some seasons of the church, they've certainly had a better reception than we've had and certainly than the early church had with the Roman government. And we see throughout our church the increasing challenge in our day of preaching the word without any compromise. And so it's been done in lots of settings in churches, whether they be small churches or big churches. The goal has been, whether they've been simple or ornate, whether it was the primitive church standing behind lecterns in the early church preaching the word, the goal was to take the text of scripture, even in American history, making our churches have this commitment and resolve Uh, That confessional resolve to the word of God, it's been taking place in simplified churches, all all kinds of churches, including modern churches where we've seen even here in Southern California and other places, some great context for that to take place in some optimal and ideal settings. I want to talk about our role in all of this by going back to the beginning. Now, we didn't have nice uh, theater seating and some ascending uh, classroom. We had bring your own chair church from the very beginning. That's how it started with Compass Bible Church back in 2005. You'd bring your beach chair. Hopefully you had a hat on so you didn't burn your head. And I thankfully had a little bit of shade under a sycamore tree. And I would preach to our fledgling church back there in 2005. We called it under the sycamore tree. And as we often do, we put a t-shirt together, I think, which someone last night told me they still have. But I'm just interested for nostalgia's sake. Anyone with us at any of the services we did under the sycamore tree? Do I have anybody here? Oh man, 11 o'clock service. Well represented. That is awesome. So those were the days. Bring your own chairs to church. Now, it's not ideal as it wasn't in the early church. They tried to find the biggest houses they could find to house their churches. And eventually, when the government relaxed its persecution of the church, they started to gather together in churches where they would create a facility just for that. Well, we started in another church just having that experience with a small group, a core group, where those pastors, as we did last week on this platform, laid their hands on me, commissioned me to plant Compass Bible Church. And we said, listen, it's going to start raining, which doesn't happen very often, or we're going to, you know, get sunburned. We need a place where we can be under the shelter of a building. Where can we go? And about a mile down the road in Aliso Viejo, the opportunity opened up at Temple Bethel. Our uh, friends down there at Temple Bethel said, listen, we, of course, do our services on Saturday morning. Uh, You Christians like to do that stuff on Sunday morning. You need a building. We could use a little more income here. So why don't we just have a win-win deal? You can use our facility on Sunday morning. So much like the early church, we started Compass Bible Church officially on June the 5th, 2005 at Temple Bethel. I say that because the early church started in the synagogues. Now, just like the synagogues of the Old Testament, this pulpit had a lot of Old Testament preached from it, but not a lot of New Testament. So I had a chance to start in a very nice, I mean, well-equipped, albeit somewhat small uh, chapel, if you will, for us. We'll use that word. And I began to teach. And I don't know, I wasn't trying to to be controversial, but I decided to preach verse by verse all the way through the book of Hebrews of all books. And... (laughs) That got the attention of the folks there at Temple Bethel. And I would see the rabbi sneak in in the back sometimes while I was preaching just to sit there and listen. And he was surprised. And he made statements like, how do you guys get all these people to come? We went from one service to two services. We had a a group coming. He's like, I I don't understand. And I said, well, we have a lot to explain about why you don't understand it. And, you know, certainly shared the gospel with the leaders over there. But one thing we found they didn't have in their facility, as great as it was, they didn't have a baptismal. So when we won people to Christ, we would have to find people with the biggest backyard that they had. So we could have their pool, and we went through the process of having these folks confessing Christ in the baptismal tank, giving their testimony, just like you'll hear here on the platform. And uh, when, when it got too big for that, we moved back under the sycamore tree and said, hey, let us use your facility for that. We'd have guys and gals in the baptismal tank confessing Christ, saying that they're followers of Christ. Those were great, great times. So we'd go off to, to, to do those events. We'd come back to that wonderful facility that we started in at Temple Bethel, and uh, things were going well. We'd fill their little classrooms and do Sunday school classes. We'd spill over into uh, homes and do small groups and Bible studies. We'd pitch tents on the basketball court there of uh, Temple Bethel, put our kids in it. Uh, We would bring our Compass Bible Church balloons, of course, which we like those, and uh, we'd have a great time. Now, that was going well at at Temple Bethel until they said, listen, we know we gave you Sunday morning, but really I've got a lot of pressure here from our congregation. We want to start a Hebrew class for our congregation on Sunday morning. And because 
because a lot of this, though we had a contract, a lot of it was a handshake gentleman's deal. Uh, he said, so I'm going to kick you off a Sunday morning and, you know, we still want you here, but is there another time you Sunday morning worshiping Christian people can do church? And so, uh, we got two services at this point and we did the best we could by moving everything to three o'clock and five o'clock on Sunday afternoon. Now, if you're going to plan a church, that's not a good time to try and build a church on those, on those times. And nevertheless, with the closing kind of constrictions of time, God was good and we, we were able to do that. And, and, and God continued to grow our church during that period of time. Now we needed a, a, an office because our staff started to grow as the numbers grew. We needed more people shepherding and, and leading and administrating in this church. So we went out looking for an office. And there was an old telecommunications company, right? Cox Communication, that is our TV provider and our internet provider and all that, that used to have offices at this little place called 140 Columbia in this Columbia Loop. And they wanted to move out to Rancho Santa Margarita and they were growing leaps and bounds. And so this facility, if you don't know our numbers here, is right next door. Uh, we're now in 150, 140 Columbia right next door is where our offices started. And we had a little bit of space in there for classrooms, but we hung our sign and we got things started and we had offices in there. We had some space for some week uh, night classes. We had a couple of rooms for things that we could do with the youth and the kids. It was small, but it was a place for us to have 24 hours a day, seven days a week while we kept on going back and forth every Sunday afternoon at three and five to the temple. We would go into their Sabbath school with a lot of Hebrew on the wall and have Sunday school, uh, no Greek in their uh, facility, just a lot of Hebrew. We'd run to backyards to have our baptism when we fit. Uh, we even started Compass Night. If you've got good eyesight there, you can see the beginnings of our Compass Night on Thursday nights, which we start again this week, this semester, started there in Temple Bethel. When numbers grew large, special events, we would go off to various places and parks and schools and do what we could to meet together. Our kids would go to homes and we were bouncing around and all that seemed great, except for the fact is that we didn't have a home and we felt like nomads kind of wandering in the desert. And that's how we felt, certainly how I felt. And, and again, you never knew when we were going to be able to meet and did they have a special event and what about this? We need a place to do baptisms, whose house? It was just a lot of bouncing around and we prayed and prayed, God, it'd be great for us to have a place that we could have 24 hours a day, seven days a week. One of the interesting things that took place in 140 over here is that I would prepare, as I often do, like right up to the time when I preach. That's just my pattern. And so I would come in early on Sunday mornings, I don't know, 6, 7 in the morning, and I would start to study. And I knew my deadline for my sermon on the weekend was 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So I'd study till 2, 2.30, and then I'd drive a mile away, and I'd go preach, and then we'd have a little break, and then we'd preach again, and, and, and we had that pattern. Well, the interesting thing is right next door in 150, there was this church, Pacific Hills Church. Uh, later renamed uh, Calvary Chapel Pacific Hills. Some of you might have been there. You've been in this building. Uh, it was a thriving church and, and a lot of teaching that went on here that was uh, proclaiming the word of God. And they'd gone through a leadership change. And so the church had gotten smaller and yet there was still a functioning church here. And they had the luxury, as I tried to fight jealousy and envy, of being able to meet on Sunday morning, which was really cool because they had the lease on this building in 150. And so I would be there in my office studying and be there for a few hours. And then I'd see cars start to pull in and I knew they were having church here. And I knew the history of this church. And I'd actually been here before uh, to visit way back in the day. And I knew Dave Rolf now was leading that congregation. And so I would sneak in like the rabbi at the back of the synagogue and sneak in the back door over here uh, while Dave was preaching and kind of see what was going on. Well, unlike Temple Bethel, where we were spread out all over the building, it was interesting as I, I snuck in the back door, everyone could see me because they had no chairs to the back. They had chairs just right up here in the front. And everything in the back was wide open. And I think they even had refreshments back in the back. So they had a huge vacant space in the back. And of course, you can imagine if you know me, I'm thinking, hey, here's a big building and there's just a few chairs up in the front. And, and they were kind of rebuilding and getting back on their feet in terms of what they had all been through. And I would think every Sunday morning, it's sad that we can't have a building like this. As a matter of fact, it's sad that we can't have this building. It would be really nice. And so we said, listen, we've got to find a place to meet 24 hours a day, seven days a week that Compass Bible church can hang their hat, hang their sign and say, this is our church. We're growing. Let's do ministry there. So we looked all over and we had a lot of people looking for us and we got lots of leads on buildings and none of them were quite right. And, and often uh, the, the realtors would say, well, listen, I've got a few facilities for sale. And whenever a church property comes up for sale, that's huge. It's exciting. They're already zoned. They're already built. So one of the, 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 the church facilities that was uh, given to us through the realtor was at uh, uh, 24481 Moulton. It was an old Christian science church, which is neither Christian nor science. But there it was doing what it does on... 
on Molten, on Molten Parkway. And they were going, they were, they were, they were boarding it up and they were, they were putting it on the market. And so we went down there as we did with every lead that we had and we took a tour and we looked at it and we looked at the capacity and we looked at what we had at Temple Bethel, albeit at bad times on Sunday afternoon. And we said, no, why would we go from something, uh, though the bad times are bad, that is larger and more useful and more classrooms to a place that just didn't fit our needs? And we had a vision in terms of, of seeing this church continue to impact our community. We thought it's just not the right size. It's too small, too small. And then again, every Sunday morning, I'd see people come in here into a building that was too big for them. And uh, so we had some conversation with Dave Rolfe, and we found out that Pastor Dave had said, you know, what we're really tired of is spending a lease on this big building. We'd much rather buy a property that fits us a little bit better, that's smaller. Ding, I have an idea. Uh, let's have you maybe take a look at this property that we've been looking at that's too small for us. You want to be owners. You don't want to lease anymore. We'd just like a building that's bigger and fits us. Maybe we can take over your lease and you can go over there and take over this facility and we can high five that, that a Christian science church is gone and the Bible's going to be taught up there. And we thought this is great. So by God's grace, they bought that building. They refurbished it. They did a great job. So when you drive down Molten and you see that down there and that Pacific Hills Church is there. You see Dave's car in the, in the parking lot. You wave at them, pray for them. We are so grateful that that worked out and God has done good things and, 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 and we're grateful for the kind of, of kind of shell game from our perspective that was going on and God kind of moving chess pieces around and they were then moving into that building with happiness and gratitude. They were able to get the funds together to buy it and so we got the lease here and we moved in. We peeled off the Pacific Hills signs and, and put up compass Bible church signs. They took their few chairs that they used to set up here. We said we need to buy chairs. That was a fun day, getting our black chairs that didn't look as used as they do now as we moved them in. We went down the hallways. Uh, Susan set up the classrooms. We had people painting it. Apparently, a lot of people had a lot of fun unpacking the chairs, and it was a great time. I'll never forget that day. It was a lot of fun. We had those black chairs all undone, and we took pictures of how great it was. They were spanking brand new. They smelled new. And as you can see, the front of the auditorium we moved in needed a little upgrading. And so slowly, we started to work on all of that. And then we hung the sign that you see outside. We thought, we don't want just some stickers on a, on a little, uh, you know, whatever color that is. I'm colorblind. Uh, blue, teal sign or whatever it is. I have no idea what teal is, but I know it's somewhere near the blue <laughs> spectrum. And I thought... We, we need a sign. And I remember I, just, I had just uh, hired Ruth uh, to be my assistant. That was her very first project. I said, don't mess this up. This is a big thing, and it's going to hang on the side of our building. And, and she did great. Got it. Uh, worked out the whole process. Got it hung. I kept her, and it all, it all worked out. I'm grateful for Ruth. Critical. So we hung the sign, we got the building, we bought chairs, we started preaching, God was good, we multiplied services, as you know, we do everything triple here on the weekends, people were coming, it seemed like lives were changing, we had a couple classrooms under the roof up here in the second floor, there's a second floor up here, if you don't have kids, you may not know that, our youth moved in, started working there, we got a couple classrooms over here, our kids moved into the classrooms there, uh, in the summer, you know, we would do all kinds of outreach programs, and our camp compass, we'd fill the auditorium, and the parking lot, if you been around. We started spilling out of the parking lot doing events, Fall Fest. This was our home, and it was great, and we loved it. 150 Columbia. We were excited to get the bird's eye view just to give you the summary. Here's the building. It was Cox Communication. It became our offices with very little classroom space in it, but a little bit of meeting space. We got the auditorium with some classroom space, but not a lot. So we had the auditorium. We had some classrooms. That's what we had, and we were struggling because as our church grew and we knew God had plans for us to plant churches, we needed to build up a base and send these churches out. We just needed more space. And my office faced this building over here, which we now affectionately call 120 East. And uh, I used to see some strange things going on in there. If you used to work there, I'm sorry, it just seems strange and illegal, but whatever. Um, Things were happening there. And one night, you know, just like I thought, just, just, I don't know if the feds got involved, but they just packed up and they split. And all of a sudden now, 120 East was available. And, and so I didn't cry about that. We had about 12,000 square feet. No, about 10,000 square feet over there in 120 East. And we said, wouldn't it be great if we could put classrooms in there and start to spread out a little bit? So sure enough, our great architects got together, worked on what we could do with that. One meeting room, breakout rooms all around, little lounge. We got a tiny little kitchenette there. And our junior high ministry moved in there, which isn't just junior high. It's not just Sunday morning. It's not just Friday nights now in our current schedule. Every night, you got stuff going on there, whether it's our special events, whether it's our Awana uh, that meets in 120 
uh, East as well, uh, our, our outreach nights, our, our, there's just so much that goes on in 120 East, and it's been a great addition. We needed it, but of course, we had a thriving high school ministry at the time, and it needed space. It needed space for hundreds of teenagers to be able to fellowship and to hear the word taught. And so all of a sudden, this part of the puzzle came available. And we said, wouldn't it be great to have 120 West as well and be able to open that up into space for meeting. And we've got enough space in that building to add some classrooms. So our architects got to work and not breakout rooms, but real classrooms in a hallway. And you, some of you know, you drop your children off over there for various things, not only on the weekends and on Sunday, but throughout the week. And then that one big meeting room, which was a missing component of a room size between this and 120 East. And we were able to set up tables, do banquets in there. Of course, our high school group meets in there. We've got our kids that invade it every week in our weekly ministries, our summer camps, which we just got through another round of that. It's a great size facility for that. Uh, Our Thrive on Thursday nights. It's just part of what goes on. And I can say, and I'm very proud and thankful that our team is so efficient and effective with the square footage that we have. Sometimes it's sad that we make our kids sit on a concrete floor next to roll-up doors. But nevertheless, we are able to use every square foot in our facility to try and do the work that we're called to do, reaching people for Christ and teaching them the word of God and to observe all that Christ commanded. If you look in every little corner of our facility, there's not one unused corner of our facility, even places that were just like storage areas. You know, we hang a basketball hoop up and we're able to use it for ministry. Of course, all of our kids' ministry and Awana ministries take up a lot of our space, and we're so grateful. We utilize every square inch of this facility over and over. Here's our small meeting space in 140. There are offices. We do all that we can to utilize this for the Lord's work, and God has been so gracious to give us a great team that has maximized the effectiveness of our facility, even outside. In the courtyard there, we call it between 120 West and our main auditorium. Sometimes we'll have events out there. Our biggest event of the year, our fall fest, certainly just transforms that area. We use the parking lot that usually parks cars after services, as you know, as our kind of our patio. Uh, We'll have special events sometimes on Sunday afternoons. We'll pull the tables in, put banners up, whatever. It's a great area that I just would say maximally using. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And we recognize that though our church has grown and we've got three services and we multiply things, women's Bible study three times over every week, men's Bible studies twice, things that continue to multiply, navigating motherhood twice, our weekend services three times, we know we have a big mission field. Our mission field of Orange County, the total of it is about 3.3 million people. South County, you could reasonably estimate about a million people that can be within reasonable driving distance of our church. There's a big mission field here for us to reach for Christ. So we know we want not only to meet the current needs of our church, but to think ahead what God would have us do, even though we're peeling off hundreds of people at a time to plant these churches. We know that we're not going to build something or try and dream of something, at least not in the current phase of our thinking about any, you know, massive, expansive, gigantic Bren Center auditorium. But what we want is to be able to accommodate reasonably what we're doing here as we continue to plant churches. So our current setup, we have offices, two wings of classrooms. We have an auditorium with a little bit of classroom space in it. And we thought, what can we do if we were to take the classrooms out of the auditorium area and really just make that what it can be, expand that auditorium to give us a little bit more breathing room in there, and then turn the classrooms that we would take out of 150, put them in 140, and that would give us at least right now, even if you take out what we call the compass room, we'd have about 10,000 square feet of extra ministry space and be able to push some walls out here, take these infernal pillars out of our meeting space here, and be able to have something that would be much more effective and efficient. Now, that's a great plan right there, I think. Classrooms, 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 auditorium that's mostly dedicated to auditorium and what would be obvious ancillary space for what auditoriums need, like lobbies and the rest. So all of that would be great. Problem is it leaves us without a home for our offices. So we've been praying about that. We've been looking for a couple of years. So what would happen if we tried to move our offices off site? We looked all around, looked around the business park, looked for any space for lease. Uh, we've had the realtors and the people that are looking around and brokers trying to find us office space that would accommodate what we have, which right now, over 10,000 square feet, really not enough for our staff, which is current. Not only that, but we're understaffed proportionally to our attendance and the people that we have to care for. So how do we get a space that we can have enough space for the staff that we ought to have and maybe even getting the 
with the mindset of some growth in the future, some room to grow. Well, we looked all around, and unfortunately, when we find the ideal place, it's two miles away, or it's a mile and a half away. And so much of what we're doing on this campus every single day necessitates that kind of connection between workrooms and copy rooms and the print and the graphics department and our leaders and our leaders meetings and just it just was like we don't want to move our offices too far away what possibly can we do and we thought we'd absolutely depleted every possibility it's going through a lot of our old pictures and this is one from way back when not long after our sign was put on the side of our building And what was interesting, as I looked at this picture this week, uh, I recognized that the answer to where we might go uh, had been in the reflection of this building the whole time. If you're good at reading backwards, that's a 145 building right across the street from where we are. To get you oriented here, that's uh, this place right there. There it is. Matter of fact, every time we go through this corridor, which I really, it's not big enough to be called a lobby, when I go through the hallway out to our makeshift patio on the blacktop, you see that building. It stares at your face. To give you the bird's eye view again, it's right here on the corner, which I think is helpful for us to see. If you had offices in that corner building right there, you could actually move the classrooms in this building to what was our offices next door, and you could have all the classroom space that at least we see in the foreseeable future would be needed to continue to do what we do with an expanded auditorium. Now, if you know anything about the Columbia Loop here that we're in, which looks like a business park because it is a business park, uh, you'll notice as you drive around this area, a lot of people don't even know we're back in here, the only thing that has signage on the main streets, Aliso Creek and Aliso Vale Parkway, the only building that gets to have that is the 145 building. And sadly, it's a business that no one can pronounce the name of the, of the company. <laughs> But they proudly display that. We call it ISICS, but we have no idea if we're right. We're not sure if the employees know how to pronounce it. But this integrated circuitry, uh, they make all these wafer boards, motherboards and stuff, circuit boards, I should say. Uh, that building sits there, and it's the only one. As you're coming south down Aliso Viejo Parkway, or Aliso Creek, you see that sign. It's the only one. And so, of course, I thought, wow, if we could ever get that building, how great to have a sign that you could actually read all three letters, or all three words, rather, and it would be awesome. It would be the building that just is in your face coming down that, that street. So that was exciting until we looked at the details. And we said, okay, we need office space, and we need a lot more office space than we have now, but we don't need a ton of office space. And we looked at this building, and it has 27,000 square feet of of usable space. 27,000 square feet. That's a lot. It's way more than we need for offices. So that took us back to what is it that is making us the kind of church that can't do more of what we feel is the most important thing we can do, and that is plant churches that plant churches. And we know if the making disciple goal of our church is to replicate this church into disciple-making churches elsewhere, we understand that the reaching of our church is really something done best corporately through church planning, individually, obviously, sharing the gospel with our neighbors. But when it comes to us leaving a mark in generations to come, it's that we've become a sending mother church, if you will, that plants churches that plant churches. That's key. Now, of course, we have to teach them, and that's what we're involved in doing, and we want a place to do that that's effective and efficient, has all the ancillary space, classroom space that we need, and it'd be great if all those top people would just go out there and do what we're called to do, reach more people for Christ, both individually and that they would band together and say, well, we're going to go plant a church. That would be awesome. The problem is that doesn't happen without the next component that we're going to talk about next week, and that is training. You have to train them, and that happens as another component of the Great Commission. If Jesus can look at 11 guys and say to them, okay, now you're ready to go and make disciples. We know he spent three and a half years training them to do that. And that's an element that goes far beyond the teaching of them being sanctified and obeying Christ. It really is an element of training. We thought, okay, that is really the thing that throttles us back. What is it that we, if we did more of, we could have more reaching and teaching? Well, it would be training. So we started thinking, and it didn't wasn't new thoughts for us. It was old thoughts, but we thought, what if we had thousands of square feet to actually do the kind of training that we know needs to happen to accelerate exponentially the things that we've been able to see God do among us. God's good hand is upon this church for the planting of other churches. We've seen that domestically, other languages. We've seen it internationally. We want to do more of that. 
We want God to say to us, here, I will be generous to you so that you can be generous to other churches so that you can leave an effect on them for good. You can start them, you can train them, and we thought what we really need is a training center. So that building right there really led us to say, if we had a building that's almost 30,000 square feet of usable space, sure, we need a lot of that or a chunk of that for offices. But you know what? Most of that can be used as a training center. Next week, I'm going to talk about an ambitious plan to train people for biblical ministry so that that building right there becomes for us something that we leave to the next generation that we're going to call the Compass Bible Institute. That is what we want to leave as a training center that will live beyond... It'll live beyond our lifetime. It really becomes something, and I don't want to preach next week's message this week, but there is a need for biblically-based training. Not a place just where you say, yeah, my kids, you know, I want to send him to a Christian college. He's going to be a pharmacist, an architect, you know, an accountant. Let's send him to a great Christian school. We need training centers. We need what the old Bible Institute movement used to be, and that is training people to do ministry. And that's all that we do, and we do it really well. We teach them all that they need to know, and we give them practical training that takes them through the process of learning programming, administration, preaching. There are people with masters of divinity in their hand that have never preached for for more than 15 minutes at a time in a homiletics class twice. We need people that know what they're doing when they go out through an educational system. That is what we're going to talk about next week. There's a lot more I want to say, but back to what I want to talk about this week. When it comes to what we have, and I've told you this before back in 2014, if you were with us, that we said we'd like to buy the property because it's always better as good stewards to be owners and not be renters. All of us would get married, whatever. That's the goal. It'd be great if we could own and not rent. That's a good, wise thing to do. Problem is, when you're dealing with square footage needs that we have, that is a big, big chunk of money. And when it comes to even saying, well, can we mortgage that? If we start to equal out mortgage to lease payments, we still need a gigantic down payment. And we kept saying, that's what we want to do. And I was probably the most tenacious on this than others. But I secretly was saying, God, please let us own this or something else before we start planning these domestic churches. Well, by the time we got as a church to be eight years old or so, we were like, we really need to get these guys that we've started to train up and plant them. And I kept saying, Bobby was the first one, Pastor Bobby and Beach. You know what? Just hold off. Let's just hold off another six months. Let's just hold off another eight months. Let's just hold off another three months because we want to see a deal come together. Well, we tried and we tried. And God said no. And what I realized is that God worked that together for good for our church because it forced us to say no. The resources that you do have, let's not put that on a down payment and strap you. Let's be extra generous to our church plants. Giving them that directive, and I preached on this last week, when it comes to setting them up with the needs that they have without having to do any fundraising, get them on a path of effectiveness and fruitfulness. And you know what? God allowed us to do that, not only with Huntington Beach, but with Tustin. And now last weekend, we launched Boise. I don't want them to worry about the money. I want them to worry about the ministry. And was God has been generous to us to be able to be generous to them. They will, as we pay it forward, as we said last week, be a church that, at least in the last two that we've done, they've been big projects, big endeavors, ended up paying for themselves and be self-sustaining. They've been both self-sustaining in 15 months. That is a remarkable track record, and I was very pleased to present some of those details to you last week. That, to me, led me back to thinking, okay, God, we can be renters, and that's all we have as an option right now. 120 East, 120 West, 140, 150. All we have is the option to lease. Great. God has been able to provide that, and I understand that, and I can lament that personally when I think about the future, But when it comes down to it, no one comes to church and takes a bulletin and says, wait, before I sit down to hear this sermon, are you renting this or do you own it? No one asks me that. They don't drop their kids off at Awana. All they want is a parking space. They don't even care if their kids sit on the cement next to the roll-up door. They're like, I just want to make sure the light bill's been paid so you don't have to do this in the dark. They don't really think about that. And if God provides for us to pay a lease, fine, we will take care of this and, and we'll have all this square footage that can approach 100,000 square feet to do ministry. We won't worry about whether or not we're leasing or whether we're owning. Sure, we'd like to own, but we're stuck with a lease. So God, we got to go back to the table with the owner. If you won't sell it, and God has prevented us from doing that, and we're going to take our resources instead and be generous to other churches, then what do we do? Well, we need a lease. And it would make sense if we could tie this down because we're at the place now where we need a home. We're not going to go back. We don't want to go back to the camel stage of wandering around as, as nomads. So we sat down and said, let's work out a deal. We worked out a deal. And I, I think I've mentioned this to some of you, but we landed a 20-year lease on this property, which is a long-term lease. And I'm thinking, think about that. 20 years from now, 
I mean, there may be a lot of things that we can leave to the next generation of CBCers here. But I'm hoping at that point, whether it's a a purchase or whether it's an extension of a lease, we want to be able to, over the next 20 years, be able to say, if this is going to be our church home, which I think is in a perfect place, it is a perfect place in so many ways, except for the fact that it's a business park, except for the fact that it's a warehouse, except for the fact that on the outside, when you bring your friends or go, I don't, I don't understand. Are we, you know, going to do light industrial work this morning? No, (laughs) I'm taking you, I'm taking you to church. So I know it's not pretty, but, but it is, it's been functional. Now, it needs some work. I understand that. And if we go to classrooms in the building that used to be offices and we take our auditorium and expand that here and we're able to put the kinds of accoutrements around this that we need for, to have a kind of a normal experience at church, well, not to mention South Orange County experience at church, well, we need more space. Well, that's when the 145 building came available and we said that will certainly relieve that. It will allow us to expand and optimize our campus, but that is a sale. It's only for sale. We got the call and it's for sale. And we said, okay, let's see if we can make a deal here. We did all of our due diligence. We worked on all the comps. We did all the valuations of the property. We did this in a way that I think glorified God and came to a place where we got a really good, decent, rightful deal on this property. And we said, okay, let's see if we can wrap this up. But we can't lease it. We got to buy it. Well, in light of all the square footage that we have in the lease, we thought, well, this is a place that perhaps with God's help, we can see this happen. An office with a training center as the primary function of the building. And then we have a campus here, a patchwork of buildings. What can we do with that? The two words I've repeated is an expansion and an optimization. We want to expand and optimize this campus. Now, if we're going to do that and say we're going to settle in for 20 years in this piece of property, we'd sure like to do more than what we've done. And that is we found one building in 140. Oh, 150, let's grab that. Oh, 120 East, let's get that. 120 West, let's get that. How can we in this piece of property optimize it to where it really makes sense as a, as a homogenous whole. It's a piece that works together. The flow works, the traffic works. We're not dodging cars as we're walking into buildings. How can we make this work better? So that's when we got to work on a plan. There's a key to this plan that is major. And the major key to this plan is the auditorium that you're sitting in. Being able to not only take out the infernal pillars, which we don't care for, and to push some walls out and all that, but to turn it 90 degrees. See, that is key. Why? Because right now, to come into our main entrance, at least, you're walking into the corner of the facility. You dump out in the facility, and most of you, if you have children, you're walking around this side, and you're trying to find the the other buildings. And the first building you run into is our offices. None of that is ideal. But if we could turn this building and and its function 90 degrees, we then open up a completely different experience going out that direction if we can do something with that experience out that direction. And so that was key. As long as we're going to build and expand, if that's God's calling for us, let's turn this and make this something that works as a whole. Now, even as I say that, it may be hard to envision. So our crack team worked real hard to try and help you envision this. This is the the vision of how this may look. Now, you're between 150 and 140 here, between the offices and the main building. To making a grand entrance that really makes the back of the house, it dumps into this courtyard. So as you're going through this, at least in your mind's eye, we won't let you drive through this anymore, be able to come to a courtyard. The courtyard that's no longer blacktop, but nice paved central area where the side of the one 40 building becomes the opening to a brand new children's center that has an opening that right now is just a corner of a building with a trash dumpster. You can see it there, and we're not real happy about that. So now you walk out of the main entrance of the church into the opening to all the classrooms, the state-of-the-art classrooms for our kids in what used to be the offices. And of course, you can walk right across to 120 West and have the opening to all of those classrooms as well as our large high school room. The grand entrance then becomes what is now the loading dock. That'll be a whole lot better than looking at our trailers. And you walk now in a leveled out entrance here with the patio. Here's 120 West, which won't really change on the interior. Done good jobs there putting that together, but the facade of it will change to match all of this. The patio will stretch from those doors into the classrooms and the meeting space all the way across the courtyard. You're looking here into the entrance into the church. Now, off the entrance to the church, there's a stairway a stairway that's not there now that will lead up to a whole set of rooms that we're going to build on top of what now is a bunch of classrooms that'll be the entrance to the church. Here's the entrance to the church. You move through the front of the church into the entrance. We finally have a lobby that's an actual lobby, which will open up into a bookstore that's much more roomy than the one we have now that will have, there's your opening. You walk right into that. 
Upstairs, in this part that we will construct, you'll have a cafe, you'll have meeting spaces, you'll have places to do partners, discipleship, you have times to meet, just to chill between services or throughout the week and the ministries we have here, a stairway that walks up to that. Our courtyard, plant some nice trees, some landscaping, a screen, if you will, that hides all the stuff across the way to 100. All of this as a big courtyard now, master plan to where all of it works. We have no through traffic there. We have a courtyard that becomes the centerpiece of our church. Now, if you're looking at that, you're saying, well, that sounds all fantastic. It'd be great. Snap your fingers and it's all going to take place and happen. I'm moving the sign over to the edge of 140 just to end that. But I know what comes next because I've been at churches where they do this. I know how you're going to approach all this. This is all a setup because you just want to get into our wallet. I know that some of you may feel that and you're sitting real hard on your wallet. Listen, I'm just going to tell you this. This is not in any way, and I can say that sincerely for my own conscience in life, and I think I know our team, our leadership team, our pastoral team, all the way to our ministry directors, our administrative team. This is not anything other than saying, God, we do want to strengthen a vibrant church here, not just for our good, so we can say, look at our fantastic church. I've been through that in the past. I don't want to build the fortress mentality. I want us to be able to say that down the road, we've planted all kinds of churches in all kinds of places that needed those churches. Now, with the key component that was missing, more on that next week, a training center where we can train not only them that, that go out, but those within our growing church and those that want to come from other churches to be trained. That, fantastic. More on that later. All of this money to make this happen at the beginning of a 20-year lease, that's the perfect time, providentially, to invest money in our campus. That is something, yeah, yeah, it's going to take money. I understand that. And your question, well, how much is it going to cost? We're not grubbing for any empire for ourselves. We're not trying to say, hey, let's just make a comfortable place for us. Although I want this place to be a culturally comfortable place that matches our, our cultural surroundings. I don't want to invite people to a warehouse. I, I think that's not where, they're not going to warehouses to do any other part of their lives. We want to be able to bring them not to a workplace, but to a place of worship where the most important things in life take place. Well, Pastor Mike, all that to tell us, you know, it's what it's going to cost. Well, I'll tell you what it's going to cost, but first let me tell you about some other projects that are going on here in Southern California. There are other building projects like the LA Stadium that's going up. Just to get some prices in perspective, where they're building a facility to watch football, a three-hour game with 10 minutes of activity, just to get that in perspective. (laughs) People are investing... $4.9 billion to build that. You like football? Great. Have at it. You interested in going to football games? Good. You want to buy season tickets? Great. Over $100,000, by the way. Great. How are they going to pay for it? Ultimately, yeah, that's it. Advertisers, commercials, and of course, people paying hundreds of thousands of dollars, not to mention average people. When you get your first ticket to a game up there, the Chargers or the Rams, I mean, you're going to pay anywhere from 50 to 300 plus dollars to get in the gate. That's what you're going to pay to watch a game of grown men throwing a football around so you can go home and say, that was really fun. That's my favorite team. Great. There's nothing wrong with that part of your life. That's fantastic. I don't have time for it, but that's great. Have fun with that. Okay. I'm just saying this. I can tell you this for a $5 billion project. What goes on on this campus is far more important than anything that will ever go on in that arena, unless the gospel comes to that arena and people's lives are saved because of preaching. Other than that, building a facility where no one's saying, let's build this for the next great awakening in California. That's not where they're building it. They're building it for the athletic entertainment of a culture, which I understand is an entire industry. You may be employed by that industry, and that's nothing wrong with that. I'm just telling you what goes on in this camp is far more important than a $5 billion project. Well, Mike, comparing what we're doing to a stadium, that is absurd and ridiculous. I know that. And some of you will say, is any of this that you just said necessary? You already showed us pictures of kids sitting on the ground in a, in a, in a warehouse with a roll-up door, and it seems to be working. Lives are being changed. People are being taught. Why do we need it? Is it really necessary? Well, there's another stadium in Southern California. It's called the Coliseum. Maybe you know what's going on at the Coliseum right now. They are in the middle of a renovation project. I can tell you this about the Coliseum. It presently works as a Coliseum. It works as a stadium. You can play football games there. But they're saying, it's not being done well enough, particularly if you've got this new stadium going on in, in Inglewood. Why? I mean, they, they want to say, we want a better football experience or athletic experience for people that come to see things happen there. 
This is something that you could say, at least in your most cynical, skeptical mind, it's not necessary. Who cares if the, uh, the, the, if the bathrooms are, are not up to date or there's not enough capacity for that or if the, if the seats don't have ideal accoutrements? What does it matter? We still got a field. We got goalposts. We got a place to park, kind of, and you can do football up there, right? They said, no, it needs to be better. $270 million just to renovate something that works as it is, but we just want it to work better. And speaking of that, I don't know what it takes to to have you buy your shirts or whatever, but over here in Laguna Hills, a little closer to home, they are pouring $260 million into making what goes on off the I-5 freeway at El Toro, the the Laguna Hills Mall, to make that a better place for you to buy your underwear. I just want you to think about that. (laughs) They're going to sell the same underwear they sell now. They just want to sell it to you in a better experience. They're going to put new restaurants in there so you can walk up. That's the goal. And that project's not going very well, by the way, right now. If you're in the business world, you may know that. And you know one reason that they want to pour $260 million into that, that you pay for $5, $10, $15, $50 at a time in the markup to make that thing possible? Well, because the spectrum is killing them. Am I right? Why is it that you don't want to go to Laguna Hills Mall, you snooty Orange County person? Because there's a much better place up the road, the spectrum. So they can just rest and let things happen. Oh, except for the fact they're in the middle of a renovation project right now. They even give us a hole to peer through to see all the construction that's going on there. Now, why would the Spectrum have to upgrade their facility? They're doing the thing, man. It's happening. I mean, we we have the restaurants. We have the stuff. We have nice pavers there. It's way better than Laguna Hills Mall. They said, no, it needs to be improved at the tune of $200 million right now. For For what? I mean, the, the Apple computer I bought from the Apple, it seemed, I mean, I, I can have that experience in that store. Why does Apple need a better Apple store? Why do we need a better paver? Why do we need water squirting out in the face of our children when they walk through the <laughs> courtyard? I don't understand. The Ferris wheel worked. Why do we need all the LED lights on it? They're saying, we want this to be a better experience, in part because they're trying to make money. I, I don't want them to go to what's going to be called Five Lagunas at Laguna Hill. I want them to come up to Irvine. I can park my car in the parking structure. Why do I need little lights that say red, 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 red to show me that there's no parks available? And then the green one way down there, and I can't get to it before that guy's going to get to it. Why do I need that, right? People have been parking successfully at the Irvine Spectrum, relatively successful at the Irvine for, for years. Now they said, no, let's plant a lot of money in telling us what, let's put sensors in the ground, let's put lights up and all that. Why? Because they want that experience to be the experience where people say, you want to eat your food, right? Eat it here. You want to have your, they're putting, uh, here's how they put it in, in, the, in the, uh, the, 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 the press release. We want better landscaping. We want a red, redecorated courtyard. We want more seating. All of this is going to be redesigned from the ground up. And if you've been there lately, they got some of their weird steam jets coming out of, they're starting to finish this project. They said all for a better experience. Now you may look behind that with some guy with a pig mask on, you know, trying to rake in the money saying, they're just doing that for the money. I can guarantee you this, whatever you say about that, it is working to get people there. And I'm just telling you this, our goal is not to make money, make our stock go up. We're not, we're not a publicly traded company. We are just a church trying to do ministry. We want to take that resource that God gives us, which is people, not money, and see them used for the glory of God. And I tell you, the things that are going to happen in this building, way more important than anything that's going to happen in any of those buildings at the spectrum. I assure you of that. Well, those are all economic commercial endeavors. Well, let me tell you one that's not. The Orange County Performing Arts Center. Back in 2006, they completely redid this whole thing. It was a $240 million project. And if you know anything about the arts and how this works, you know what they do? They don't just say, hey, we're just going to do this really well so a lot of people will come so we can sell at every show of My Fair Lady or whatever. That's not, their thinking is what we really need is patrons to give us money. There are people donating. You know what they raised in 2006? $42 million, $42 million people gave so that they could put a nice building in there and a facade in there and change what they had so they can see people walking around, dancing around, breaking out in song. They wanted to, <laughs> sorry, they wanted to, wa- and I'm all for that. You love those plays? Go to the plays. But I'm just saying people to the tune of $42 million donated their money. I mean, I don't think it was all just to get their name in a brick or a sign on the wall. Right? I mean, maybe some were motivated by that. They gave it because they believe in the arts. They want the orchestras there. They want the plays there. They want the musicals there. That's what they want. And you know what? They got it. You may be looking at this picture and go, I know that place. It doesn't look like that place. What is this? This is the architectural drawing of the current renovation they're doing. They're doing a courtyard res- uh, renovation at the Orange County Performing Arts Center. Now renamed, but that is the place. And here is their rendering of it. So this is an architectural mock-up of it. Do you know what that's costing them? 
$68 million. That's the price tag to renovate all of that. So your experience, when you come up and experience all that goes on there, changing some of the things, obviously, center court, all this drive space, all the fountains, all that to the tune of 68. And you know what they want? They want people to give it, donate it, donate it. And you know what? People are donating in the millions and millions of dollars. Why? Because they believe in the arts. I'm all for the arts. I'm probably more for the arts than I am for football. I'm for the arts. That's great. Sorry. I'm all for that. I'll even go to the game. Give me a ticket. I'll go to the game. We'll watch football. We'll watch musicals. We'll watch the orchestra. We'll watch, you know, Marcellus Brothers. We'll do the stuff at the Performing Arts Center. That's great. But again, I'm just telling you what goes on in these buildings far more important than a $68 million project to renovate your experience as you walk into the Performing Arts Center. Well, those are big numbers. Maybe smaller numbers back close to home. How about the Laguna Niguel Community Center? You know community centers. You can go get your Zumba somewhere else. You know, you can have your whatever, your fitness classes or your receptions at some other place. But they want to build a place where the community can come together in Laguna Niguel, where you can have all that. You can rent out a room. You can have your wedding receptions. Whatever you want to have there, you can have all that. That's a $25 million project in Laguna Niguel. And that is a project, and I'm fine. I'm all for it. Taxpayers, you know, they end up paying, fitting the bill. And you'll, if you want to rent one of the rooms, you can rent it. I just want to tell you what the Orange County Register reported about this. The room that you can rent is the maximum capacity of people you can get in there, 300 people. I'm just saying this. When you look at what we're about to do, by God's grace, if we accomplish it, it's going to serve so many more people than that. And it's going to do so much more. Not going to have, you know, empty spaces that sit there for hours and hours a day and day after day. This building, the price tag on it for us to purchase is $9 million. Now, I know that's a lot of money because you look at your bank account and you say, I don't know, that, I, it's, I, it's too steep for me. I understand that. That's a lot of money. But in light of everything else that's going on in our culture, when people come together to give $68 million to improve someone's experience at the play, I'm just saying I think the people of God can join together and say, this is nothing. This is nothing. Well, it is something. It's a lot. And I recognize that and I respect that. And we're not going to create circuit boards. So if we're going to have Compass Bible Church and Compass Bible Institute in this building, we've got to remodel this from the inside out at about $2.3 million. If you look at this campus project, all of these are interrelated. They're dominoes that fall together. We really shouldn't do anything across the street unless we're going to clear out in the offices and make space for the expansion and optimization of our campus. If we do that, really make this church experience as you walk into it much, much better. Even the externals of 120 West better. The entrance, the grand entrance, this is the back of it. This is the worst perspective on it having a nice back visual, even as you park and go around the corner into the main entrance, what's that going to cost? That's about a $6.7 million project with all the contingencies built in, with all the plans and the fees and all the issues that relate to architectural fees and all the rest. And about a $2.5 million addition if we're going to actually furnish it. We're not going to take our old equipment into a lot of these rooms. We're going to deck this out the way it ought to be so that when you come into this, no, we're not going to have lights in the parking structures or anything like that. This isn't Spectrum level stuff. Certainly isn't Ritz-Carlton level stuff. But a place where you can bring your neighbors, your friends, and not to mention your own self in a culturally contextualized uh, kind of experience and say, hey, this, this is my church and I feel good about this. This is the place where we are now having church. I don't think this is unnecessary. I think, yeah, the early church did it without buildings, but they couldn't wait to have the Roman government give them the allowance to meet in buildings. And they did. And when they did, they built some incredible buildings. And I guarantee you, they'd be looking down from heaven if they said, you're spending money on this and not on your church. When your church looks like a box that fell off a shelf at a supermarket, we want to make this a better experience. And, and so we ought to for the glory of God. The aesthetics, I wish I had more time to talk about all of that, how they relate to our theology. Well, it still seems like a lot of money. And we're starting to get near $20 million with all that you've said. I understand that. I just want to remind you where we live. The medium sales price for a house in our city, this is not counting Newport, this isn't counting Laguna Beach, this isn't counting Nellygale and Laguna Hills. This is just our city right around here. If you want to buy a four-bedroom house, the medium price is almost a million dollars. If you've got a family and you want a home for them, you want some room to spread out, you want adequate space for everything, and you want a yard, I guess that's going to be another million dollars to have a yard. But that's, that's the prices of what we're dealing with here. It doesn't take too many of those for five, six people at a time to say, this is a project that when it comes to 20 million, 25 million, if we get a war chest together for church planning, this is not really a number that though it may make us choke personally when we look at our bank account together corporately as all the people from their million dollar and six hundred thousand dollar homes come together to do our work of reaching teaching and training it can get done and i say all that not to get god out of the equation we need to be praying 
This is something that can't happen without God. We don't have a budget to do this. We don't have any funds where we say, oh yeah, here's all the money. We're just going to tap into these CDs that we had. This is something that is going to take all of us, if we want to do this, pulling together to make this happen. It'll have to be a God thing. We want to be generous to our church, seeing God being generous through us to be generous to others. Reaching, teaching, and training is what this is all about. Ultimately, reaching people with church planning, teaching people here with a vibrant, strong church, training people in Compass Bible Institute so that we can get to heaven said we did our part to be good and faithful servants in making disciples. I'm going to have the ushers come down and give you much more detail in a packet of information. I just want you to take this home. Right now, all I'm asking you to do is to pray for this. If you look through this, you'll find we've laid out really the philosophy of what this is all about. As the ushers come down and pass these out, I want everyone to take one. It'll give you some of the sketches, the artist renderings of the elevations, and some of the pictures of what we want to see on the outside, some of the interiors of what we want to see on the inside. Uh, This is just a fraction of what you're going to find on our website. But we'll have all the cost breakdowns and what it looks like in terms of the financial challenge. And then I want you to remember this website address. And if you flip over your brochure that you get, you'll see this is the prominent address. I want this to be the address that we frequent in the next two years, compassav2020.com, compassav2020.com. If you go to that website today and you look at it, it just went live last night. It's got uh, some of the great renderings that you saw. If that kind of went by too quick, you get all that. Watch it at your own speed. You can pause it, get oriented. Some explanation from me, our team, You're going to see all kinds of photos that we don't have in the brochure of drawings and renderings of what we want to see on the inside and the outside of this. And then again, is it going to be an issue of of finances? And I got to tell you this, in 13 and a half years, we've had some very soft asks for various projects, whether it was a church plant or what have you. I've not had a big ask in 13 and a half years. Pastors don't have the luxury of doing that very often. And I'm just saying, I think once in 15 years, it's pretty reasonable for me to say, here's one that if we're going to do this, this will be a big ask. And it will end, of course, on the website with a page, which again, I've made fun of the thermometer in the lobby for the churches that do these church planning things. But in our day of GoFundMe and all the rest, I think people want to see the progress of what we're doing. So this was right when it went live last night before it went public. I was the first one to to get access to this. And of course, it's not encouraging yet, zero dollars of two million dollars in one day by zero people. Um, And I'm not even asking for you this week to give to that, although I know if you were to check it now, I'm sure people have overnight, but, uh, and I'm sure that'll be encouraging. But the point is, we want to spend a week at least just praying about this. I want you to go through the brochure. I want you to know that this is something that you say, I believe in this and together we can do this. Next week, we'll talk about the training component. There's lots of questions about who is CBI for? What is CBI's goal? Is it going to be accredited? Who is it? Is this postgrad? Is this undergrad? All of that. Is it for just young people? What, what is it? All of that we're going to talk about next week, including how we might go about in the next two years seeing this paid for so that we don't carry any debt, any construction debt, any mortgage from 145 into the future. That is our goal. And so I want you to spend some time in the brochure and on the website. And of course, we don't do anything around here without food and t-shirts. So on the patio, you're going to see our, our 2020 t-shirts, which is all about sharpening, sharpening our focus on what matters most, which is reaching, teaching, and training, which of course are the component parts of making disciples. And you'll see them in various colors out there. The men's shirts run a little small. So that's why we have them out there. You can kind of compare them and feel like it's your muscles, the reason you need the XL or whatever. But you can go out there, get the right shirt. And I know oftentimes, uh, ladies, you want the nice fitted shirt so you can feel, you know, you got shirts for you. And we do. We have a lot of, 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 uh, a lot of feminine female cut shirts out there in various colors as well. We'd like you to start just by taking one of those. We also, I think they dug out of the storage room a bunch of our license plate frames. Now's a good time for you to proudly remind yourself as you walk into your garage or your driveway, you know, we're, we're about reaching people for Christ. So get that, that plate frame on or bumper stickers. We have plenty of those. But we want you to have the T-shirt. I, I'd love for you to wear that, uh, not just to bed. It'd be great if you could wear this T-shirt because it's really comfy, this version of, the, of our, neck, our last shirt. Wear it around to where you can, especially with people in our church, people can see it and remember. I will challenge you in the brochure. Every time you see the Compass 2020 logo that you say, that's a prompt for me to pray because we can't do this without the Lord Jesus Christ making this a success. Now, I got a third more to say about where we're going in the next stage of this. 
course, I had to lay out the whole of it because it doesn't make sense me talking about a redesign and optimization and expansion of these facilities without having another place for us to spread out to. And God didn't send us two miles down the road. He sent us just across the street. So even if you have kids to pick up, I know we're running two minutes late, three minutes late here. If you go through that short little squatty hallway that I used to call a lobby, but now I know it's not worthy to be called a lobby. Go through the lobby onto the patio where you're going to have blacktop under your feet. That's going to change, Lord willing. And I want you to go out there. And as you go through that doorway, I want you to see 145. Now I can't help but see. It's like an elephant just standing there saying, come and do training here. So that is there. And right beneath that, as you walk out visually, you'll see all the t-shirts and all the things. I'd love for you to grab a t-shirt or two if you need to. And let's be praying about Compass 2020. Next week, more details. Please come back for next week. Very important. Let's pray. God, help us. Yes, that's good. God, we know life is ultimately short, that we'll be done with our lives and we will be handing off the church and all of its tools and resources to the next generation. We'd sure like to leave behind to our kids and grandkids if Christ doesn't come back first, not only a vibrant church with a facility that's designed for optimal ministry, but we'd like to have a training center that is continually equipping people to do the work of ministry. So God, grant these desires, not because they're just our desires we want you to bless, but because we've tried to formulate this plan based on your commission, your work, your word, the direction that you've called the church to go in. So God, to the extent that we've gotten this right, I pray that you bless this, fund it, underwrite it, allow us to look back in September of 2020 and say that you did this and that you've accomplished this and it's set up for ministry for years and years and years to come. So God, we'd ask to do this, not because we can't do church in a cave, but because in our culture, to reach this generation, God, there are some things and tools that would help us, just like microphones and lights and all the rest and padded chairs. I know the church has done church without chairs for many years, but God, we realize these tools are helpful. So I pray you'd provide for that. And most importantly, that we would look to the future and see that church planting and training and a church that's vibrantly teaching and strong is going to make a difference in people's lives that we won't meet until we walk through the gates of the new Jerusalem. So help us, God, to see that with clarity as we build this vision in our minds and work together to see it happen. So do this, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.